Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. Alright, and welcome to another episode of Dr. Dictionary, the podcast explainer for all your questions before, during, and after your visit to the doctor. I'm Jake Bloom, and joining me, as always, is Toronto resident Dr. Josh Fletcher. So, if you don't mind, can we start with the basic definition of what a concussion is? Is it basically just like a, a brain bruise? So, a concussion is a type of traumatic brain injury that is caused by some sort of force being applied to the body. Now, often we think of it as a direct blow to the head, but it can actually be somewhere else on the body and that force is just transmitted to the head. For example, in hockey being checked into the boards, and that can actually lead to a concussion. Now, when we say like as a concussion of brain bruise, it's actually what we call a functional disturbance to the brain rather than an actual structural injury. So what that means is that with a concussion, we don't actually see some sort of brain abnormality. And we wouldn't see anything if we did a CAT scan or MRI, but we'll talk about that later. But it's actually a disturbance or a change in brain function. And because of that, it's associated with a wide range of symptoms, which usually resolve within about one to four weeks, but can persist. So you wouldn't call it actually a brain bruise as a way of describing a concussion? Yeah, so no. Like I said, it's more of an injury that affects the function of the brain rather than causing an injury to the brain itself. It's not due to bleeding, and it's not due to bruising of the brain. How common would you say concussions are? So by far, they're the most common type of traumatic brain injury. In Ontario, we see approximately 150,000 concussions each year. Now, most commonly, we see them in children under 5, and in elderly individuals over 80 years old. When we think of sports-related concussions, because that's another common cause of them, They're most common in youth between ages 10 and 14. And we talk about sports, but what are some of the common ways you can get a concussion? So interestingly, the most common way of getting a concussion is from falling. Like I said, they can be sport-related, and it doesn't always have to be a hit to the head, like I said before. It can be from accidents from driving. Uh, Under-recognized cause can be from assault or even domestic abuse. But really, any sort of trauma can do it. What are the actual symptoms of concussions that people have? So I've personally never had one. I know my brother has, but I've heard about people seeing stars or feeling stunned. Is that true? So we'd like to classify symptoms into one of four groups. We have our physical symptoms, the emotional and behavioral symptoms, cognitive symptoms, or like thinking and processing, and sleep-related symptoms. So with the physical symptoms, like you said, you can feel stars or feel stunned, headaches, nausea or vomiting, have like a new sensitivity to light where it bothers you a lot or sound, have problems with balance or like the sensation that the room is spinning, 
can have ringing in the ears. Some people might even have a quick loss of consciousness. In terms of the emotional and behavioral symptoms, they can be associated with depressed mood or anxiety, feeling more irritable, having difficulty controlling your emotions, or feeling much more tired or drowsy. In terms of the cognitive symptoms, again, those that affect our thinking and reasoning, it can lead to confusion or disorientation, difficulty concentrating or remembering things, and feeling slowed down or in a fog. And then finally, the sleep-related symptoms. Some people find they sleep too much, and some people find they have difficulty falling asleep in the first place. Are there specific signs that might indicate that my symptoms are actually from bruising or bleeding and not just a concussion? Um, So yes, there are. And we call these the red flag symptoms or symptoms to watch out for. Your doctor will think about these and may ask you about these. If you have these symptoms, that might mean that something else is going on rather than a concussion. Sub-examples. Increasing or severe headache. Really bad neck pain or problem moving your neck. Seizures or shaking of the body. Difficulty moving part of the body, a drooping of the face or weird sensations around the body. Having double vision, non-stop vomiting, or being really confused or disoriented. Overall, if the person is just getting worse and starting to become more sleepy and less interactive, we start to get more worried. What should I do if I have any of these symptoms? So it's best to get assessed immediately if you have any of these symptoms, either by calling your doctor, going to urgent care, or going to your nearest emergency department. What are important things to tell my doctor when I see them about a possible concussion? So your doctor will often want to hear details about what actually happened that led to your concussion. What happened at the time? Did you black out? Do you have problems remembering stuff around the injury? Did you vomit at that time? How long did these symptoms last? We'll want to hear if you ever had concussions in the past. We'll want to do a physical exam to check the function of your brain, your balance, etc. And rule out any of the bad things that we talked about earlier. How long do symptoms of concussions usually last? So symptoms for adults typically resolve in about 10 to 14 days. In youth, they typically get better within about one to four weeks. Now, that being said, there's no test that helps predict how long it will take you to get better from concussions. And some people can have symptoms that last longer. And what happens if they last longer than that? So that's what we call persistent symptoms, or those that last longer than the expected time frame. So in adults, for example, they last longer than two weeks or longer than four weeks in children. We used to call this the post-concussion syndrome. And why do we have those persistent symptoms? So we're not 100% sure why. It could be due to the original injury to the brain or other conditions that are associated with that. For example, like there are some things that increase your risk of having persistent symptoms. Having really bad headaches or migraines before having a concussion. A history of depression or anxiety. A history of ADHD or learning disabilities. Or having previous sleep problems. Other than that, there are other risks that can increase your risk of having persistent symptoms. For example, being younger. Interestingly enough, females are more likely than males. Having a lot or more severe symptoms from your concussion in the first place. Having more symptoms from trying to return to work or going back to playing sports. Like I said before, having previous concussions or being injured in a car accident. All of these things increase your risk of having long-term symptoms. And what are the actual symptoms that can last longer? 
Are they just the normal symptoms? Exactly. They fall into those four categories again. The physical, emotional, cognitive, and sleep symptoms. We can again see the headaches, which is the most common type of persistent symptom. Depression and anxiety, even PTSD, problems sleeping, being tired, etc. And what do you do about these longer-lasting symptoms? Well, first we want to figure out which of these symptoms are most affecting your life. Whatever your specific symptom is, we'll try to treat that. If you have headaches, we'll treat accordingly. If you have anxiety or you're feeling depressed, we'll treat that. So it's kind of a symptom-based approach. There's also a big role for other healthcare practitioners, not only your doctor, in helping to treat your concussion. Rehab, seeing occupational therapists, etc. This can all really help. So I guess one question that's been on my mind this whole time is whether or not I need a CAT scan or an MRI for my concussion symptoms. When would I need that? And why did my doctor, for example, not recommend that? So for concussions, CAT scans and MRIs are not needed. And like I said before, concussions are not bruises and they're not bleeding in the brain. It's a functional injury affecting the function of the brain. We won't see anything on imaging. Now, there are exceptions for when we might do a CAT scan, but this depends on your injury. And these exceptions are different depending on if you're a child or an adult. For example, being over 65, having multiple episodes of vomiting, having signs of a skull fracture, acting really confused or disoriented, etc. These are some red flags and we'll do a CAT scan if this is the case. But if we rule all of these things out, which we can often do quickly, we can safely say that a CAT scan is not needed. Of course, things can change over time and that's why we follow you up and see you again in the future to reconsider and make sure things aren't getting worse, but in the moment, the CAT scan isn't needed or an MRI. Okay, Josh, let's talk about treatment. First of all, how are my specific symptoms treated, like headaches or problems sleeping? So in concussions, like we talked about earlier, we treat symptoms like we would normally treat them if you didn't have a concussion. For example, if you have a headache, we'd want to determine what type of headache you have, talk about avoiding things like alcohol and caffeine, sleep regularly, treat with medications as needed. For sleep, we would talk about proper sleep techniques, again, avoiding caffeine, exercising, etc. Hang on a second. So there are different types of headaches? Yes, and we'll have a future episode on this. Oh my god, you just blew my mind. (laughs) So... Um, I've heard a lot about just sleeping it off and resting to get over my concussion. Is that something that uh, you'd recommend? So while it's true that we want a short period of rest or sleep, we do not recommend a longer period of rest. And by short, I mean about 24 to 48 hours or one to two days to kind of rest your brain and get everything back to normal. But after that, we start to transition back to work or school or again, playing sports. We don't recommend longer periods than this. So when do you think someone with a concussion can go back to school or work? So this is a huge and very important question. And there are actually protocols that we follow when transitioning back to work or school. And we do this quite slowly. So I'll include a diagram in the description of the episode that better explains this. We go through specific stages to return to work, all of which are guided by symptoms. For example, we go from that short period of rest to light activity like easy reading, drawing, limited TV time, to light physical activity, small chunks of schoolwork or office work, and increase accordingly depending on your symptoms. However, before going to the next stage, 
we first of all want to allow at least one day or 24 hours. This will allow us to see any symptoms that might worsen or appear out of nowhere and can help us manage these. If symptoms reappear, we return to the previous stage of activity we were just at. That being said, we don't need to be 100% symptom-free before transitioning to the next step. If we have symptoms that aren't preventing us from doing our activities and aren't worsening, this doesn't really increase our risk of having long-term symptoms, and we can confidently transition to the next stage. For example, if you have a headache that's manageable, we're treating it, it's not preventing you from doing anything, you can still slowly return back to school or work with this headache. Now, that's true for going back to the office, going back to school, but for sports, it's a little bit different. All right, so let's talk about returning to sports then. Is it that similar gradual protocol? So yes, exactly. We similarly transition gradually into playing sports again. We don't want to do this too quickly, and sports often have their own individual protocols depending on the sport and how we return to activity. Again, when we say gradually, start with symptom-limiting activities, slowly transition between light activity, then that sport-related activity, for example, rugby with no contact, that we increase drills with no contact, and eventually transition back to full contact and then back to playing sports at high level again. We don't want to go too quickly because a second concussion when someone's already recovering from their first is very dangerous, and it can be much more likely to have the second concussion when you're already suffering from the first. And the description of the episode will also include a diagram of this protocol. So there's a few, I guess, concussion myths I wonder if you could help me bust. Is it true that I shouldn't use any screens or do any reading or work until I'm symptom-free from my concussion? And what about exercise? So these are myths. While it's true we do want to limit screen time as these can make symptoms worse, it is in the end based on your symptoms. For example, you can read if it's not worsening symptoms. You can watch a little bit of TV if it's not worsening symptoms. But if it is, we take a step back and reduce the amount that we're doing this. The same applies to exercise. We want a slow progression back to where we were before. We can start with light walking for short periods of time and increase that or increase the intensity of the exercise that we're doing. We don't need to be 100% uh, symptom-free and rest for that entire period of time before going back to exercise. Remember, we only recommend about 24 to 48 hours of rest. Something that I've heard a lot about in the past few years is CTE. Can you tell me a bit more about what that is? So CTE stands for chronic, traumatic, encephalopathy. Chronic meaning long-term, trauma from some sort of injury, and the big word encephalopathy is damage to the brain. So this is a potential late effect of recurrent concussions on the brain. And it can lead to poor thinking and reasoning skills, depression, personality changes, abnormal movements of the body, etc. Now, currently, there's no way to diagnose this. We can only diagnose this after people pass away, unfortunately. Um, but it is a real risk that we're thinking of with repeated concussions. And lastly, what other resources do you recommend on concussions? So I'll include examples of the return to work or school and the return to sport protocols in the description below. There are also some great YouTube videos about concussions by Dr. Mike Evans and good resources from Parachute Canada. And I'll include all of these in the description below as well. And that's great. I believe that wraps up our conversation today on concussions. Josh, I want to thank you for opening our minds up to all these great resources and uh, teaching us a little bit about uh, what's really going on 
when uh, when you get a concussion. Thanks, Jake. And as always, if you guys have any suggestions, feel free to email us at the doctordictionary at gmail.com. You can tweet us at the Dr. Dictionary as well. I'd like to thank Dr. TJ Liu, a family physician and staff physician at WSIB Ontario, for peer reviewing this episode, as well as Nick and John Bragagnolo for recording the original music. 